Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. This is News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, Future of Beauty is the first live show in the world aimed at educating women on all of the latest options in aesthetic treatments, clinical skin care, cosmetic dentistry and plastic surgery for a range of bodily concerns. I'm going to be joined by its co-founder, Liz Dwyer, to ask if we need to accept what we are given and embrace ageing and issues with our body. And Steve Garrigan is well known as the lead singer of the band Codaline, the group from Dublin who have found international acclaim, had a string of hits and even supplied the theme tune for Gogglebox. But what you might not know is that Steve battled with anxiety and feeling like he didn't fit in for many years. He's documented his journey in his memoir, High Hopes, and today he talks to me about helping others and what worked for him. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I'm all over the place, to be fair. We are moving house. There are major changes in my husband's business as it bows down to the pressures of lockdowns and the pandemic. If you're going through similar, I feel you. And I'm about to launch a podcast, which is all very new to me, believe it or not. So there has been a lot for me to get my head around of late. But actually, we are great. Myself and my husband are excited for a new chapter and new beginnings, no matter how tricky the transition. Sometimes change doesn't feel good while you're in it, but it's living, isn't it? And I was hosting another couple of online health and wellness seminars for Spectrum Health this week and the topic was mental health stronger together and I was joined by Desi Fitzgerald and Alan Quinlan. Both men were sharing their personal experience, the importance of talking, the resilience we gain through struggle and how we can help others. Desi Fitzgerald has the most incredible story of overcoming. When he was 28, Desi's younger brother Mike died by suicide. Soon after, Desi was hurling for Cork and was involved in an on-pitch clash which left him with a spinal injury and in hospital and rehabilitation. And while he was coming to terms with all of that and working to possibly walk and move about again unaided, his 16-year-old brother James died of sudden adult death syndrome. It's so hard to fathom how any person or family would come back from something like that. But Desi found a way. It started with a period of feeling all the low, low energy and being at rock bottom before he was ready to go to a wellness type workshop that he'd seen a flyer for where he opened up for the first time to strangers. And that was the beginning. He now walks without the wheelchair, has retrained as a mind health and life coach and dedicates his life to helping others. Alan Quinlan had an equally important story to tell playing rugby for Ireland. He became over the years his own worst critic and his negative self-talk was having a massive impact on his mental health. He said himself the other day he felt like a fraud beside Desi who had had obvious massive blows within his personal life. But as I said on the day, the unseen blows are just as important and just as impactful. People shouldn't have to feel like they have to justify how they're feeling with a reason necessarily. If you feel down, sad, less than, unhappy, anxious, 
look, if it's every now and then, that's just a part of everyday life. But if it's more than that and it's all consuming, you deserve to feel better about yourself and within yourself. And there is help available and there are tools you can use, not so that you're happy every single day. Life doesn't work that way. There will always be curveballs, but you can build up the strength to handle the down days better. You'll hear a similar story from Steve Garrigan from Codaline. And it was such an inspiring afternoon to be a part of. Lots of people got in touch to say they felt the same. Many who were watching even reached out for help and were put in touch with professionals. So like I say, it was a real privilege to facilitate and be a part of that. And I think I should say, if you are listening today and and feeling any similarities to the stories I just told reach out to someone and if there isn't someone in your circle you feel you can talk to the Samaritans are there 24 7 on 116123 and finally I met someone this week who said they enjoy the show but god I sound so healthy with my yoga this and my sea swim that rest assured I am just as muddled up as the next person but I do value my health and I do take time to take care of myself as best I can and As I told that person, when it comes to moving your body and getting out into nature or whatever it is that works for you, don't feel you have to do anything else other than what makes you happy. If running isn't your thing, maybe it's cycling. If you hate the gym, maybe it's yoga or maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's a walk on your own with the dog and a podcast or with a friend and a coffee. That person told me they were going through a very stressful time in life at present and heading off on their bike with a cycling group had become their saviour. So I told them that was living proof they were just as healthy as me. And if you're taking part in the Great Pink Run for Breast Cancer Ireland this weekend, it's virtual again this year and you can log your kilometres from yesterday or today on their website, greatpinkrun.ie. Running it or walking it, I wish you the best of luck and enjoy it. The winner of the Fitbit Versa from last week's Great Pink Run competition is David Brennan in Meath. So congratulations to you, David. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, the Future of Beauty is the first live show in the world aimed at educating women on all of the latest options in aesthetic tweakments, clinical skin care, cosmetic dentistry and plastic surgery for a range of bodily conditions and concerns that aren't all to do with ageing. Joining me now in studio is co-founder Liz Dwyer. Liz, you're very welcome. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm very good. So this isn't the first year of the future of beauty. So tell me about the idea. And it's it's something you run with your sister, Nikki. It is indeed. Um, so we set it up in 2019. Um, uh, the idea was like it was going to be this big web summit style show for women in the RDS. And of course, COVID sc- <laughs> scuppered our plans for world domination for the last two years. But we're back again uh, this January uh, the 29th and 30th in um, the RDS again. So very excited for that. And why have you decided to focus on women? Because aren't a lot of men getting more? I'm sure into... they are, but like there's there's enough to be dealing with with the women alone. Um, but just sorry, you were saying there about background and how how it happened. So, I I've been reporting on beauty for like twenty years now. Um, throughout my career as a beauty editor, journalist, editor, etc. and so forth. Um. And then I was covering it a lot in TV3 uh, on Expose. So I kind of became synonymous, I think, with the industry. I was always like testing new treatments, procedures and so forth. Um, 
and it became this kind of inadvertent aesthetics hotline, you know, that people would ring me up and ask me, you know, what what should I be doing? Do you think I should be getting the Botox? Is that all therapy thing work? Is that ass freezing treatment? Is that any good? You know, people would come up to me in the playground, the, the supermarket literally going, do you mind me asking, you know? So there was, like, I knew there was this huge market. There was an appetite for aesthetics. Obviously, it's huge. We see the clinics popping up on every street corner at this stage. Um, but there's, there's very little information out there. It's very overwhelming. Um, it's very expensive if you get it wrong. And it's also very dangerous in the wrong hands. So um, I was saying to my sister, Nikki, she had just taken redundancy. And I was like, you know, there's a huge market here for, for knowledge and a platform and a place for women to go and find unbiased information. Because if you walk into a clinic, they obviously have an agenda of some description. You know, they have a skincare range, they have treatments, they have machines they've signed up to. So you don't necessarily know if they're selling you what's in the, your best interest, you know. Um, and we're in Ireland, we're very, you know, we're not great at, you know, questioning people, especially people in a white coat. You're automatically going, oh, no, no, we don't, we don't question them. They have a, you know, they have obviously a medical background. But um, so we're, the whole idea with the show was to give um, women access to these people that I have worked with for 20 years. You know, I've sit around listening to derms, surgeons, uh, you know, aesthetic doctors, nurses and stuff talking all day long. I've interviewed them. I've, you know, kind of gone around the world with some of these people. And like, I just pick up so much every day as I, you know, just hanging out, you know, and I'm like, people need to like, I would like to give this information to everybody, you know, so obviously we can't do it every day, but two days once a year is what we've got for the moment. And since you started out in the beauty industry, it has just completely changed. The landscape has gone not only from topical treatments to something more invasive. Yeah. And the way you can blast anti-aging has completely changed, but also what advertisers can say. You can't get away with, this is all I do. I rub this on and look, I look like J-Lo. That's not even allowed either. So it has really, really morphed since you began. It's funny you say that because when I began, I was in um, magazines at the beginning and... I set up a thing called Beauty Bootcamp. I'm sure many people have been to it over the years. And it was to teach regular women how to do hair and makeup because I would see the hair and makeup artists backstage on the shoots and the shows and I was fascinated by what they did. Um, and that ran for 13 years. And it's funny, I think now this is the evolution of that because now we have Instagram and YouTube and there's, everyone knows how to do their hair and makeup. Not that they don't know, but they have access to these people that they didn't. And now this is kind of the next phase. Like now it's access to the doctors, to the nurses, to that knowledge um, in that within this industry. So it's kind of like to try blow the lid in it effectively. Um, like when I was in my 20s, hair and makeup was what fascinated me. And now I'm in my 40s and I'm like, Jesus, I need a whole lot more than hair and makeup. <laughs> I, need, I need all the surger- surgical tools, you know. Um, and I think a lot of women my age, my generation as well, were like, you know, I, I, these 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 treatments or tweakments weren't available to us 10 years ago. They were very much the, the preserve of the elite. Uh, the celebrities were expensive. And um, now they're much more widely available. They've also come on a long way. You know, we used to have one type of filler. Now there's over 700 on the market. You know, um, Botox was much more expensive. It was very hush hush. It was also only administered in the forehead and now it's administered literally head to toe. Um, so the whole industry has evolved. It's become much more open, much more accessible. Um, but there's still a whole quagmire of dangers and there's a lot of cowboys out there, unfortunately. So hopefully that's where we come in to help. And people might be saying, well, what's this got to do with health and wellness? Yeah. But... I think how you feel about yourself and your self-worth is hugely connected to that. And it's not all about putting injectables into your face. Like you also deal with incontinence, female incontinence and the kind of things that people 
have the hang-ups they have it does feed into all areas of their lives yeah it really does because a lot of aesthetic technology probably stemmed from medical technology is you know so there's a lot of overlap you know within the industry um so as you were saying like for instance uh like these electromagnetic chairs now you can just sit on and they you know they make you do 1200 involuntary uh, uh kegels you know it's the vtl um salad chair um and that would have started out as a physiotherapy treatment for people who were um you know sitting on beds and they couldn't move they were in hospitals and so forth to stimulate muscles and again a lot of these you know a lot of these technologies like Botox for instance was originally for um, it was an eye for glaucomas in the 80s and they d- discovered um, oh look the wrinkles are gone around the eyes and suddenly this is injected into people's eyes so a lot of there's a lot of serendipity within aesthetics and medical industry so there's a lot of overlap um, and also as well like lasers for instance laser technology ultrasound technology um, radio frequency technology would have been used medically and now they're and PRP which is you know the vampire facial all would have been used medically and now they're going actually these all have really good aesthetic um, implications as well so there's an awful lot of crossover so within the show um, we have like we have a menopause hub because again a lot of this you know women in the menopause and we had the menopause hub let me just say three years ago before it was the coolest thing to talk about um, we have a hair loss hub we have a weight management hub you know we, as you said we cover stress incontinence we cover vaginal issues and um, sexual dysfunction because a lot of these aesthetic treatments are overlap basically it's the same treatment for your face as it is for your vagina basically um, so you know and the whole point of the show as well is just to kind of like let's stop lying you know and let's stop being coy about the whole thing let's open up this conversation you know and if everyone's honest about what they're up to um, you know that'll raise the standards all by itself if the consumers drive the industry and if the consumers go into clinics saying I want X, Y and Z you know we're, we're, the power comes into our hands whereas if you're going into clinics or doctors or whatever and they're telling you what to do you know, you're giving them the power as such. Not saying they don't know what they're talking about, you know. Yes, no, I totally agree. Well, you're listening to Alive and Kicking here on News Talk with Claire McKenna. And I'm talking to Liz Dwyer about the upcoming Future of Beauty, which just launched over the last couple of weeks and will be taking place in the RDS at the start of next year. So why is there such a focus, do you think, Liz, on anti-aging? Like, I've even had some treatments myself. Yeah. And while they have made me feel good, I have been conflicted yeah. in that why aren't we just embracing getting yeah, your inner feminist is like what am I doing here you know is it cheating why aren't we making wrinkles beautiful and grey hair beautiful I, you know, to be honest it's like it's one of those things you know I think we, like we, it's actually funny because it's with the avant-garde of feminism and women saying I will do what I want you know no one's going to tell me what I want to do and it's also a case of putting up with things women were very notorious for putting up with things you know whether that was stress incontinence or your eyelids hanging over your eyes and you couldn't see properly or you know your boobs hanging down around your tummy after you've had 10 children you know that was kind of we just put up with it was part of being a woman now they're like actually there's, there's a fix for everything you know so if I can fix it why not you know like um, and also again as I said these treatments, tweakments, non-invasives have come on so much in the last decade. You know, beforehand it was that crazy plastic surgery, you know, wind tunnel look. That was kind of the only option. And now it's just like so evolved. Uh, everything has changed and p- women have access to so many more treatments and tweakments and so forth without even going under the knife. Um, yeah, so- and as you say, it's each your own. It's impairment. If you want to do it, do it. If you don't want to do it, that's also fine too. Know, but and if you're going about- to do it, please do your research. Please get educated properly and please choose someone with the right credentials, you know, because in the wrong hands it's a very dangerous industry and people forget that people are like oh it's just a bit of Botox it's just a bit of filler it, this is not just a bit of Botox it's not just a bit of filler it's still a medical procedure you know no matter how you talk it up you know these there is a lot of people out there who do courses on, on Instagram for the weekend and suddenly they have a license to put filler into someone's hand and put 
threads into people's necks and so forth. We get a lot of women coming to us with botch jobs saying, Shh, I'm really embarrassed. I shouldn't have done this. And also I look, you know, I have keloid scores all over my face. What am I going to do? Um, I like, I said to like, you know, just because I've had a course in magician, would you let me put stitches in your hand with a big cut? No, you know, so it's amazing the way people are viewing this. It, it, it upsets me, you know, like it, it's, it's still medical and we need to understand that it's not... Even though it's in the beauty realm, it's still a medical procedure. Yeah, it's you know? different than getting yeah. your nails done or it even really your hair dyed. Yeah. And, and both of those are quite skilled too and take a certain yeah. length of training for it yeah. to be done really, really well. So what do you look out for? How do you avoid that? Oh gosh, well, well like, I mean, first and foremost, they have to, I would always say, basically, you have to have a medical degree of some description. At the very least, please be a nurse, you know. Um, I also, personally, I always think the people who are doing it day in, day out, you know, there, there's plastic surgeons out there who might do Botox. There is beauticians who might do Botox. There is, um, you know, and the plastic surgeon has done 21 years of, of study and the beautician has done two days. Um, not sorry for Botox, but for fillers. Um, so I would say someone who's like, Actually, I think the, the best thing is to look at people, you know, and say, if you've had a bit of work and does she look good? You know, like I know people who've had loads of work and you wouldn't have a you wouldn't have a bounce. And that's that's what I look out for. It's like someone who's who doesn't who looks good, not done, you know. And, and the only way we're going to find that out is if everyone starts being honest and stops telling lies about, you know, olive oil and sun cream. Thank you, J-Lo. You know, let's call a spade a spade here. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, everyone has their own interpretation of what beauty is, don't yeah. they? So to some people that really done look. Yeah is what they're after. But we had a good laugh at the launch and even you and your sister Nikki, what you think is beauty, she thinks is different. I asked Liz, she was like, oh, injectables, doctors, people at your fingertips and her sister Nikki, who's a big sea swimmer, was like, whatever makes you feel good within you. So you're a great (laughs) yin and yang together. Where can people find out more? Um, It's all, we can go into the website, futurebeautyshow.com or obviously we're on Instagram and um, Facebook and all social medias and um, we also have Zoom um, consults as well if people want to book a Zoom consult with us and have a chat about you know, who, what they should do, what they shouldn't do, uh, who who we think is reliable and, and trustworthy and we forward people on. Great. So it's a referral service all on our Instagram. And you've early bird tickets available We have early now. bird tickets right now, yeah. Good good girly day out. Nice thing to give someone as a Christmas present. Liz Dwyer, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Coming up after the break, Steve Garrigan of the band Codaline on his new book, High Hopes. Alive and Kicking on News Talk. You're very welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Steve Garrigan is best known as the lead singer of the band Codaline, the group from Dublin who have found international acclaim, had a string of hits and even supplied the theme tune for Gogglebox. But what you might not know is that Steve battled with anxiety and feeling like he didn't fit in for many years. Picking up an instrument or a microphone was the one place he felt free. He has documented his journey with mental health in his memoir, High Hopes. And today he joins me on the line. So Stephen, I have your book in my hands. Um, I've been immersing myself in it over the weekend and it's so personal, like so much of your music is personal, but this takes it to a whole new level. I understand that you were asked, would you consider writing your story in 2019? But it was that forced slowdown that we all went through over the past 18 months when you really decided you were going to make it happen yeah when I was first first approached I was very hesitant about it I remember talking to my girlfriend and one day I'd be like will I do it she was like well look if you want to do it do it next day I'd be like I don't think I'll do it and that went on for a few days to the point where she said 
look, just make up your mind. <laughs> but um, yeah, I suppose with uh, with lockdown, um, I had a calendar with the band obviously touring. It was probably full for about a year ahead, and then that was completely wiped clean. And I found myself at home, and I figured uh, there was no better time to do it. Uh, the main thing, the main reason for me doing it was to kind of, obviously the book touches on songwriting and touring and growing up and, and passion for music, but one of the things in it is anxiety and my experience with panic attacks, and that was kind of my main drive, getting my story out there. Uh, it would have been my issues with anxiety and in the hopes that people who have had similar issues could resonate with it and it might help them in some way so um that was kind of the main reason for me for doing it but it, it was a really good uh process um getting the book done but it was also one of the most challenging things i've ever done there's one thing writing a song and putting music out you know music is open to interpretation like you know the lyrics or whatever but with this it's just my story and it's it's as honest as it can be particularly about my uh, issues with anxiety and um, so it's an entirely different thing but so far the response has been great and the feedback has all been positive which is really cool and it's great to see and I'm glad I did it because you do put yourself out there a lot through performance and, and we'll get into how that was just the one time where you felt really confident and, and good about yourself. I, I think that's a really important part of our well-being that we we have a passion in life, whatever that might be. But you didn't really owe this to anyone necessarily, as I say, because you already give so much of yourself, whereas this was here's me see behind the persona I've got this really cool gig and this really cool image but there's also a lot of dark stuff going on here at times as there is with anyone and I think it's a really important story to tell but you didn't know that to, to anybody so I think it's really brave and, and courageous that you took that on and, and had that want in you to to help other people by sharing. Well I bottled up my issues with anxiety for years and my only outlet was music. Um, and I know what it feels like, like it can be very lonely. Like even, I, I'm incredibly lucky to be doing what I'm doing with Codeline, writing songs, like touring the world, playing to crowds, it's, it's incredible. And I have to pinch myself sometimes. And a lot of people would kind of assume that you know, everything is amazing and it's all great. And I'm so lucky. I am so lucky. But at the same time, I kind of just wanted to get across that it's not all roses, you know. <laughs> uh, anxiety and mental health issues can affect people from all walks of life and it doesn't discriminate. So I suppose I have a bit of a platform with Codeline. So I figured, why not? You know, I, I, I felt like I, I, I should. Um, tell my story um so that was kind of the reasoning behind it uh and to be honest when I was writing the book as well I went back to therapy and it was tough at times but I feel better for it as well doing it for myself on a personal level there were certain things like that I kind of blocked away um small things and then they came up in the book and then I'd talk talk 
through them with my therapist and um, I'm stronger for it. Uh, it was one of the most challenging things I've done, but it's, I'm incredibly proud of it. And I hope that, look, it helps people out there who may have similar issues or at very least it gets people talking and just being aware how important it is to uh, look after yourself and self-care, et cetera. Well, look, I hope people enjoy the story first and foremost, because it's, it, it is, uh, there's a lot of anecdotes about growing up, getting into a band, uh, writing songs, uh, code line, like forming into code line and all that. So, so I hope people think it's a, it's a good story as well, but for me, it is, it's my story. <laughs> it's quite strange. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I loved all of that behind the scenes stuff and, you know, putting the band together. I didn't know you were in your star, even down to the little bits of meeting your now girlfriend and bottling it, but messaging her on Twitter, all that little good stuff oh, that yeah. we all really <laughs> want to know. Um, but I can see why it was such an important thing for you to go back to all of these experiences and all of these times and why you would have needed therapy along the way to help you navigate it so what a what a positive exercise it was in the end for you and undoubtedly it will help others so let's go through some of the story because people might find it hard to believe that the front man of a hugely successful band would be somebody who would consider themselves to be chronically shy but that's who you were as a kid and a lot of the time you felt like you didn't fit in yeah well I think I'm just natural. I'm an introvert and I'm naturally shy in a way. Um, but I suppose as a kid, I was, I was really, really shy and nervous to the point where, like there's one thing in the book where it says, I, so if I was walking to school and somebody was walking on the same side of the road as me and walking towards me, I'd cross the road to avoid the possibility of talking with them because it made me nervous. Um, look, at the time that was completely normal for me, but looking back now, I know that's, that's kind of social anxiety in a way. Uh, it's kind of like a fear, not a fear of people, but uh, I suppose it is. It's, I, I was incredibly uncomfortable in crowds and stuff like that growing up. If I was with my friends, my close friends and my family, I'd be okay, but it's with kind of strangers and uh, just, public places I was very nervous and very anxious but it was normal and it took me years to actually realize that that was kind of the start of anxiety uh, issues for me um, music was always an outlet like if I was going through a tough time I had a bad day or something like that I or even a good day I just wanted to get away in general I'd always find myself sitting at a piano or playing a guitar or listening to music music was always there for me and something you were surrounded by I understand your dad is a bit of a, a karaoke king do you think that's where it, it, it came from originally was there always music in your home well my earliest memory of really getting into singing was when I was eight years old my dad brought home a karaoke machine coming up to Christmas one year and my parents couldn't really get me off it myself my sister and my two sisters and my brother were just kind of singing in the sitting room constantly, just old songs and different songs. And um, I kind of came out of my shell if I was singing or behind a microphone. And it's such a gift to find that, especially 
if you're going through all of those things, like I get the sense when you say you'd cross the, the street, it's not that you thought less of the person that was coming or fear for them. It's, it's, it's fear that you won't be up to the conversation or, or what might happen. And it's kind of negative feelings towards yourself, which is really tough to navigate. So to find somewhere and something where you feel really confident is a gift. And I suppose when you were, were growing up, it's, it's not that long ago, but we've gone through such a change here in Ireland in the last 10 years. There just wasn't the language that there is now around mental health, panic attacks, anxiety. It, it, it wasn't the same. So you probably didn't really have a name to put on it. No, I had my first panic attack when I was 20 years old and I'm 33 now. But at the time, I had never heard the word anxiety. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what a panic attack was. Uh, I was overwhelmed by it. And I remember going into a doctor and him kind of sitting me down and explaining. And I, I still, it still didn't register with me because uh, with uh, panic attacks, there's a lot of physical symptoms. And I was thinking in my head that this could not be stress related. This could not be in my head. This has to be physical because I can feel physical symptoms. So I was kind of like in denial for a while. And then I eventually realized that it was in my head and I trusted the doctor basically, which of course is the right thing to do. And uh, I, I decided to bottle it up because I didn't fully understand it. Uh, how were other people expected to understand it? And I didn't want to be I didn't want my friends to kind of treat me any differently or look down on me. They were the fears that I had. But then ultimately over the years, um, I kind of escaped into music and uh, just code line happened with touring and that was incredible. But at the same time in the background, I was always dealing with these, these kind of issues I had. I was scared to talk about it. But then ultimately when I did actually start talking about it and opening up about it to friends all I got was support you know which I'm incredibly grateful for so I think it's really important to just talk about it and I know the message is out there now but I still think there's a lot more that can be done um particularly with Irish men like they kind of still kind of my friends anyway uh some of them still kind of suck it up and just say you'll be grand you know ah stop worrying everything's okay but you know there's there's a fine line between being stressed and worrying and then actually having issues with anxiety or mental health so um i think the more people talk openly about it the better and it, it is refreshing to see that uh, it has improved massively in the last few years and i hope it continues to do so and codeline you guys are are mates um and a lot of the team are friends so did you speak to them after your panic attack and tell them what had gone on i had kind of spoken to the guys over the years like in little moments just kind of hinting at it but i don't think they fully understood what it was until i had a panic attack in 2016 and i had to cancel a show because of it up to that point, there was never, like, my issues with anxiety would have never gotten in the way of the bands. They never would have kind of, I obviously wouldn't have cancelled the show or anything like that. It had never happened. I kind of kept quiet about it. And um, 
there were points where I would get very anxious, like after shows and stuff, when there'd be record labels and different people backstage, uh, guests and all, all that. And But I'd just quietly kind of step out of the room and the lads would kind of talk. And, uh, but they were kind of unaware of that up until this point in 2016. I, I remember specifically telling Vinny or trying to explain to Vinny, our drummer, uh, at one point somewhere around the world. And he was incredibly supportive, but at the same time, he didn't understand it. But when he actually saw what a panic attack can do, like I was on the ground, it was quite debilitating. It was a very bad one. And I remember him saying afterwards, oh, that's what you were talking about. Listen, it's okay. Forget about the shows. You know, it's important to look after yourself and everything will be okay. We're here for you, which was amazing. Um, so I am incredibly lucky to have the guys. We grew up together. We're, we're all very grounded and we support each other still. We do have our ups and downs. Like we are in a band that tours the world. And, you know, it can be uh, wild or whatnot. But, but yeah, I, we are very supportive of each other and I'm very appreciative of that. So. Well, you're listening to Alive and Kicking on News Talk with Claire McKenna, and I'm talking to Steve Garrigan, best known as the frontman of Codaline, about his book, High Hopes, Making Music, Losing My Way and Learning to Live. Steve, will you stay on the line? We're going to take a quick ad break. Um, and when we come back, we'll continue on about what you have in your toolbox that made a difference for you. Cool. So you're welcome back to Alive and Kicking here on News Talk. And I'm talking to Steve Garrigan about his book, High Hopes. And Stephen, before the break there, we were talking about you having to cancel a gig due to a panic attack. So you're in Barcelona. Can you take us back to that? Because I just don't even understand how you got to that point without it affecting your work, how you were able to compartmentalize yourself in in that way and have so many pressures on you and such a busy schedule and be in a different country and have a gig I mean I'm not surprised it all came to to a head in many ways but of course hindsight is is a great thing but it, it must have been a pressure cooker at times that that schedule and that success and so many great things but really tough to manage it all well I kind of I kind of just kept myself busy um, and just kept going and I never stopped to actually check in with myself and looking back now I can see that my kind of issues with anxiety were just kind of flaring up and getting worse and worse and worse but I was completely ignoring it Um, by just staying busy like there were times in interviews and stuff like that where I'd be incredibly anxious and I'd want to leave I'd want to run away but I'd kind of just sit there and the guys would jump in in conversation and it would be all fine. From the outside in, everything was fine. Obviously, on the inside, I was kind of freaking out and dealing with this uh, anxiety. Uh, but I suppose in, in 2016, it had never affected me on stage. Every time I went on stage, that was kind of like my relief. It would be like, breathe for me and I just kind of get lost in the music and the crowd and the shows but for whatever reason in 2016 in Barcelona I I suppose it all kind of built up to that and looking back now I can see it's kind of my mind's way and my body's way of just saying 
you need to take the foot off the gas here and look after yourself and take a step back because this this isn't going to go away um and it, it was just this huge panic attack that whole day i was like super edgy and i couldn't put my finger on why like i didn't really know at the time um over the years through therapy like i know now like why i was like i was constantly beating myself up like you know need to do another album need to do this oh that gig didn't go so well and i was like focusing on a lot of negative things um as opposed to actually focusing on positive things and kind of empowering myself with good self-talk i was doing the opposite um consistently all the time 24 7 um which had a big impact on the kind of state of anxiety that i was in and uh it obviously just kind of built up to this big panic attack and when i had to cancel that show it was the first time i ever had to do something like that like cancel a show because of anxiety um i kind of knew then that i really 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 needed to do something for myself and kind of get professional help and just take the right steps to look after myself um and since then that's kind of what i've been doing like i've i've gone to like i have therapist who's great and i treat that as if i'm going to the gym I, i work out and i try to look after myself and eat well um which kind of goes without saying those things are very helpful um but yeah I, like it's it <laughs> i suppose i just ignored it for years and years and years and i just for some reason in my head i thought that if i just kept going it would disappear but that's not how it works if you have issues it's important to talk about them and important to face them and get help if you need it uh therapy works for me i know it's very expensive and it's not available for some people but there are a lot of resources now uh now more so than ever online and different charities and stuff that have free tools they can offer to help so that's really great to see and i hope it improves as well even more over the next few years and and whatever it is whatever way you find to seek help for what you're going through it's a very different energy to just repressing it and, and shoving it down, isn't it? It's kind of accepting it and surrendering to it and, and eventually trying your best to, to move through it and, and move on from it. But I think it's really important for people to also hear and, and you, you say it throughout the book. It's not like you reach this golden moment where everything's fine again. You still have a lot of those tendencies, but you just have different coping skills to manage better absolutely yeah like uh, in my book that's a message i wanted to get across like it's it's still something that i deal with i just have a better handle on it and i've learned like certain ways to kind of counteract it or breed to breed through it i know exercise is a big thing um everybody says that but for me anyway it helps massively it kind of levels me out if i'm very edgy or anxious um meditation uh, is really good like i know it's out there and a lot of people know about it but it, it i find it very effective for me um and then therapy is great for me as well but yeah it, it's some it's a part of me but it kind of it's 
it's always there, but I just have a better, have a better handle on it now than I ever did. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel better for it and I feel like I'm a lot stronger than I've ever been now. So in terms of dealing with it. And do you think you were conflicted in that we have this idea that to go to therapy, you, you have to have gone through some sort of severe trauma. And when you had a supporting and, and loving family around you, when you had a successful career, when you had a girlfriend that you loved and she loved you, is that not enough for all of this to work? But that's not really recognizing depression or anxiety for for what it is it's it's not about all of those things it's about our minds and our ability to to, to handle stress and if we don't have the tools we, we can learn them and, and we can get help for them but we do have this idea that when you have all this good stuff around you you should be able to just press on yeah and I, I kind of believed that for a while like even when the band was taken off I was like look I'll just keep going and I'll just keep writing and keep touring and everything will be fine but I, that isn't the way it works it's, it's about like how you talk to yourself and you know what you're saying to yourself in your own head like I know I was like beating myself up incredibly saying things to myself that I wouldn't say to like anybody else you know <laughs> just being incredibly harsh on myself and I've learned through therapy through cognitive behavioral therapy uh, how to kind of change that inner dialogue and that's helped me massively um but yeah it's it doesn't really matter like what what you're doing uh how far you go what what career you have it's 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 you you know it's self-care it's how you're treating yourself and how you're looking after yourself and um and I think like talking to anybody like look anxiety issues mental health issues aside I think talking to if you can talking to counselors or going to a therapist or kind of just looking after yourself or I don't know trying to improve yourself is a great thing to do um because I think a lot of people beat themselves up unnecessarily over certain things and you know uh for me anyway uh, it's it's easier when you're not doing that <laughs> you know life life doesn't have to be so difficult and now that things are starting to pick back up again you must be very grateful of the foundation that you set yourself I mean I know for some people it's really annoying to hear that the pandemic was this this gift to them this this great time when they really struggled through it and I'm sure there were times that you found really difficult too but that mm. you had that time to slow down to really deal with this, to put it all down in a book, to really focus on therapy. And now that the gigs are beginning and the music releases are back and it's all starting to whir again, that you're in a, in a stronger position to take it all on. Yeah, like COVID, the whole lockdown was so bizarre um, and it was very tough at times. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad that I wrote this book and it's I, I hope people enjoy my story and I hope people can take something from it you know if they have anxiety issues or if they don't you know just I hope they enjoy the story too but um yeah I, I'm excited about getting back out there and going on the road like I, I'm incredibly lucky to get to do what I I do and I'm aware of that like uh so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back at it like we, we've had to postpone 
probably over a hundred shows and we're planning on doing them next year. Um, I know in Ireland there's Malahide Castle and in June and there's an acoustic tour uh, in November and December. Um, so I'm looking forward to just getting out there and singing and in front of an actual real crowd, <laughs> which, which uh, yeah, which should be good. <laughs> And mindfulness is something that's bandied around a lot and it, it is such an important tool. I think people get confused by what exactly it means, but to really fully be in the moment is actually really good for our minds. So whether we're washing dishes or going for a walk or even we're really bad lately at watching something on TV that we're also on our phone to just really be doing that yeah. one thing at the one time. And I never really thought until I was reading your book and your experience of, of, of singing and performing that really any of us can do that. You do it on a bigger level, but when we turn on music, we love, and whether we're driving in the car or whatever, and we're, and we're singing along, we are fully in that moment. Music is such a, a wellness gift to all of us. Yeah, that's, that's actually a great way to put it. Um, for me, yeah, singing a song, playing a song, listening to music, that is being in the moment, you know? It like I like I like the way you said they're singing in the car because everybody does that. But mm. if 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 you do catch yourself doing that, um, and you're smiling and you're kind of you forget about everything else and you're just listening to the song and singing along, that is being in the moment, <laughs> which is really important. That's what I try to do and try to be aware of. It kind of in everything I do. Um, but yeah, meditation and mindfulness do help a lot with that as well. Well, Stephen, keep making the music to help us stay mindful and thank you for putting your story down and putting it out there and continued success to you. The book is called High Hopes, Making Music, Losing My Way, Learning to Live. Steve Garrigan, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, John Fardy, and to Jojo Cordoza, who is on sound. And thanks to you for listening. I will see you next week.